Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Luke chapter 14, we're going to pick it up in verse 25. Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Now great multitudes, Jesus has got quite a following, went with him and he turned and said to them. Once again, Luke chapter 14, verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, And his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down and uh, first count the cost, whether he is enough to finish it? Lest after he's laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish." Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It's neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. Key phrase, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Excuse me, Jesus? Did you just say, hate my mama? And as we continue this series of the hard sayings of Jesus, did you really just say, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother? How many of you read that went, this was the wrong week to bring my friend? I didn't know that those, I mean, I'm sorry. I didn't know Jesus said, hate my mama? What in the world is Jesus saying? Does he realize he's speaking to a Jewish crowd that's following him? I mean, this is a huge crowd. Jesus, I'm sorry, but this is not the way to win friends and influence people. You've got a big following, Jesus. Why upset the apple carts? I mean, Jesus, with this amount of people, this could give you power, prestige, And prominence. I mean, come on, Jesus. That's the American way. It's the American success story. You've got all these people following you, but that's exactly what he is doing. He is upsetting the apple cart. He is disturbing what they're thinking. He knows that there are only people following him for a miracle. He knows that there are only people following him to get some more bread and fish, like he did the feeding of the 5,000. And he knows there are some zealots who are following him that just simply want to take over the Roman government. So Jesus, he said, hate your father. Hate your mother. He's purposely thinning the crowd because he's talking about the cost of following him. 
He's talking about the cost of discipleship, and he's hitting the core of Jewish society. Can I let you know? The family was everything. The core of Jewish culture is the family. Let's talk about marriage, a husband and wife. Marriage was about companionship, directed by God when he said to Adam, it's not good for man to be alone. He wanted companionship in marriage. Fathers? Fathers were the patriarchs. Just in the manner of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they were the ones to pass the legacy of faith to their sons, to their grandsons, and to their great-grandsons, so much so that if you were a son, you never left the house. You just added on to dad's house. If you were a grandson, you added on to grandpa's house. If you go to Israel today, they actually still call them vertical villages. And when you go to Israel, you will see that the top of the, of the apartment complex has rebar sticking out of it because they're waiting for the son to get married to build his house on top of dad's house. Sons didn't go anywhere. In fact, it was the son's responsibility to learn the family business. Rabbis of the time, they taught that he who failed to teach his son a trade, in effect, taught him how to steal. Thus, the Apostle Paul, he was a tent maker. His dad did the job of teaching him a trade. Moms, Jewish mothers, Oh, they raised their daughters to be good wives and good mothers and good business ladies because they followed the practices of the Proverbs 31 woman. And she was a very great mom. She was a very great business lady. And she was a wife to be honored. And moms poured this into their children and wives themselves. Wives were protected by Jewish law. You couldn't just divorce your wife for any old reason like all the other cultures around. No, family was the core of the culture. Children? Children? Oh, listen to this. Psalm 127, verse 3 through 5. Behold, children are a a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man whose quiver is full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak when their enemies in the gate. My wife took this verse very literally, thus we have nine children. Someone told us yesterday, your quiver is full. Imagine how many grandchildren you'll have. How do you keep up? And my wife goes, oh, we do. And I said, I don't. I can't. I can't even remember all their names most of the time. My own children, much less my grandchildren at this point. Have you ever a parent and you were calling your kid's name and you went through the whole list before you got to the one that you were upset with? Imagine nine of them. They knew they had time to run by the time I got to the name. Family was everything. How could you be telling me to hate the very woman that brought me into existence by God's help? Hate my mother? Well, if this verse is taken out of context, many teen- that's why we asked the teenagers to leave before we started teaching. <laughs> because if this verse is taken out of context, that teenager is looking at his mom right now as, I'm not going to te- do what you told me to do because Jesus told me to hate you. Imagine the problems if we didn't ask the kids to leave. 
Even the great theologian Martin Luther said that if this verse is taken out of context, it would allow adolescents around the world to enter into rebellion. But Levitical law would even speak against this. If a child disrespected, dishonored their parents, they could be stoned. A Jewish child would never think to hate their mother, much less the fourth commandment, honor your father and mother so that it will go well with you? In fact, you would think following Jesus would make you a better son. You would think following Jesus would make you a better daughter. I mean, my son has been following the Lord his whole life, and three weeks ago he came to us and said, Dad, I've been born again. I said, what happened when you were five then? He goes, no, Dad. I found new faith. Like, I feel like a new believer. I feel like the Spirit has entered me. And me and Andrew were like, if you want to call that born and praise the Lord, you keep going. You're making your bed now. You are sweeping the floor. You're actually helping and taping the garbage in. You are born again. Praise the Lord. Because you would think coming to Jesus, you would not hate your mom. You would be a better child. So what is Jesus saying? I'll never forget when I looked at my father and said, I'm going to Liberia, West Africa. His grandson was only three months old. He was so angry, he literally threw me out of the house. And my dad had raised me in the Lord. I was in church nine times a week, literally. We had Sunday night, Sunday morning, choir in between. Like, I mean, I was in church all the time. My dad had raised me to follow God, but the fact that I would take my three-month-old, his three-month-old grandson, first grandson, to the middle of a war-torn country, he threw us out of the house. Well, Jesus gave me Luke 14. Hate your father. I'm off to Liberia. That was my attitude. (laughs) Until one day on a beach in Liberia about midnight, I'm staring down the barrel of six machine guns. And the only thing I thought of was my dad. And I thought to myself, I'm going to die on this beach. And my dad will never know how much I loved him. I lived. (laughs) You guys are all sitting there like, do you die? (laughs) No, I'm here. Okay, I'm here. I lived. (laughs) Surprise. You know the end of the story. And when I got out of the bush, the jungle, I drove three hours to the city to call my dad to say, I'm sorry. I've taken scripture out of context. Hate your dad? Hate your mom? You see, there's a key phrase in this text that we just can't ignore. Would you look at verse 13, 14, verse 35? Look at the last portion of it. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. You see, Jesus uses this particular phrase seven times in the book of Revelation. When he's writing the church, he says he who has ears to hear what the Spirit says to the church. He who has an ears to hear. In other words, he's speaking spiritual things to spiritual people to understand spiritual concepts. Once again, he's speaking spiritual things to spiritual people, his disciples, to understand spiritual context. Now, let me, um, let me help you understand this concept. We're in the United States of America. If I tell you that my dog kicked the bucket, what am I telling you? 
He actually went out today and kicked a bucket? No, you're going to start to cry because you believe when I say my dog kicked a bucket that he... You got it. Look, we're in the United States. If I tell you when you're about to go on the stage, break a leg, what am I telling you? Do good. Come on. I'm not actually telling you break your leg. What about this one? You look at your son and you go, son, just bite the bullet. Really? You want me to go get like a 30-06 and just put it in my mouth? I mean, what are you talking about? What about this one? I love this one. That guy has lost his marbles. Like, did, he, did they really scatter all over the place? Or like, what's going on? Or this one I'm really concerned about. You're pulling my leg. Please don't touch me. And definitely don't pull my leg. You see, there's a context that Jesus is speaking to. And let me go a little bit further. It's John chapter 6, verse 63. Jesus, it's Jesus' talk, and he says this. It's the Spirit that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. And let me tell you what Jesus is speaking about. He just told the crowd, eat my flesh, drink my blood. All right, I brought a friend, Chet. First you tell me that Jesus says, hate your mama. Now he's telling you to be a cannibal. No, 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 no. His words are spirit and they're life. And what he's saying is the way that you crave bread and the way that you crave water in a desert land, I want you to crave me the same way. My words are spirit. So these words have got to have a spiritual meaning. And the wonderful thing about the Bible, the Bible is actually the best commentary on itself. Paul even said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13, Compare spiritual things to spiritual things. Spiritual to spiritual. So the Bible actually becomes its own commentary. Let's go to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10. Let's take a look. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10. Let me put this in context for you. Jesus is once again speaking to his disciples, just like Luke chapter 14. Earlier he says, pray the father sends laborers into the field. And now he's sending his workers, his disciples, out into the field in Matthew chapter 10. But before he sends them out, he actually gives them a job description. He tells them where to go. Go to the lost sheep of Israel. He tells them what to do. Go to a house of peace. Now, a Jewish person would have understood what that meant. Go to your family. Go to your cousins. Go to your auntie. Go to your uncle. I want you to go to a house of peace. Someone that you know will receive you. Go to the house of peace. He expresses them the kind of character that is needed. Be wise as serpents. Be harmless as doves. He even addresses some occupational hazards like you're going to be falsely charged and you're going to be tried. He even says, let me tell you, I don't know if this is OSHA approved, but don't be afraid of those who can kill the body. Do you remember that show, Dirty Jobs? Do you remember that series, Dirty, series, Dirty Jobs by Micro? Do you remember this? And you could watch the series, and he went into all the dirty jobs in the United States of America. Can I tell you that being a disciple would qualify to be on this show? You would have been on Mike Rowe's Dirty Jobs show. 
And one of the greatest occupational hazards to the Jew was not losing his life. Now, that was a pretty big one for me. If Jesus was telling me, I'm about to send you on a mission trip, and you'll probably die, I would go, hey, um, let's pray about that one, Jesus, before we head out. But to the Jew, they were used to insurrections. They were used to rebellions. They were used to dying for their faith. To the Jew, it wasn't a matter of losing your life. No, it was a matter of losing your family. Family is everything. And Jesus knew that from personal experience. We learn in Mark's gospel that Jesus' brothers thought he was nuts. Even Mary had a wavering moment. His mother and his brothers, the Bible says. So Jesus knew what it was like for your family to come against you. And Jesus knows exactly what's going to happen to the disciples. He knows what's going to happen, and he doesn't want them to be surprised by it. So in Matthew chapter 10, look what he tells his disciples, verse 34. Don't think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. And Pastor Jeff, he tackled this topic. We're just going to reference, look at verse 35. For I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. See, Jesus is saying there's going to be division. This message of peace, it's going to bring division to those between those who accept the message and those who reject the message. The entire world is sending a message of peace to Russia. Even Russians themselves are standing in the squares saying, we're not with Putin. Sending a message, we are for peace. But that message has caused nothing but division with the nation of Russia and Ukraine. Because any time there's a message of peace that's rejected, it will always bring division. That's exactly what Jesus is communicating. And When Jesus told them to go into the house of peace earlier, he said, I know there's going to be those that will reject this. And when you leave, wipe the dust off your feet because like the Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 15, there is an offense to the cross. You know, at Thanksgiving, don't talk about politics and... You see what I'm talking about? There's going to be a division. And Jesus doesn't want to hide from that. And one of the greatest division is going to be, like he says in verse 36, in your own household. I've been to the nation of Iran twice. And I'll never forget the first experience when I was in Tehran. I was told a story in a house church that happened only a couple of days before I arrived. A daughter told her mom and dad, I believe in Jesus. The dad was so furious, not only did he disown her, he disrobed her, put her out in the street naked, which is a death sentence in Iran. By the grace of God, she ran to a a believer's house. She made it inside before anyone saw or caught her. Jesus knew there'd be division. 
And in verse 37, we begin to see the meaning of this division. Would you look at verse 37? He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross up and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Seven times in this particular passage, the word me and my is represented. And Jesus is getting across a very important point. I am to be first. Say first. I am to be first in your life. I'm to be above all things, even your Jewish family. There's another very key word if you would take a look. Go back with me if you would. Verse 37, he who loves father or mother uh, more than me is not worthy of me. Now take a look at the screen. You're going to see a visual here just for a moment. The word worthy is actually that ancient word for scales. And what you would do is you would put weight on one side of the scale and you put gold on the other side of the scale. And you would weigh the gold until it balanced to see how much its worth in weight is. And what Jesus is saying is, when it comes in comparison of your love for me as to even your own family, I want the scale to look like this. There is no comparison. Nothing is worthy or as the same as your devoted love to me. So we got to stop for just a moment. And we got to stop and consider, is there anything in our life we love more than Jesus? I'm convinced in the 21st century it could be our relationships. Because we don't want to tell anybody at work about Jesus because they could be offended. And I would rather be in relationship with you than you be offended that I'm a believer. So because I'd rather be in relationship with you, and I'm really saying I don't want you in relationship with God because my relationship with you is more important, I'm definitely not going to tell you about hell because hell is such a, it's like a politically incorrect word. And I'm convinced that in many of our lives that we're more concerned about relationships than we are people's relationships with Jesus. Well, I can't say anything at Thanksgiving. My daughter has told me I can't tell her about Jesus. What's the alternative? An eternal destination without him? Missionaries tell me all the time, well, I can't really talk about Jesus in this country because we'll get kicked out. You know what I tell them? Get kicked out. Paul did. Didn't seem to bother him. But I've spent 10 years learning the language. Learn a new one. It'll be easy. (laughs) We've changed our perception in the 21st century in regards to what it means to be a disciple. Now, with that in mind, let's go back to Luke. Go back to Luke with me, Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 14, we're going to pick it up in verse 25. What in the world is Jesus saying? He says, now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me, verse 26, and does not hate his father, mother, wife, and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. He's talking about discipleship, and the first thing, I want you to write it down, it takes 
wholehearted devotion. Write that down. It takes wholehearted devotion. Wholehearted devotion. In Romans chapter 6, verse 4, you see it on the, on the screen. We were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. Jesus died and he rose again and he's asking us to die, lose our life, even our own life. And as we are raised, we walk in the newness of life. And since he gave his life for us, we give our life to him. Nothing should come in between that. Secondly, I want you to write it down. Take a look at verse 27. If you think that was bad, wait till we get here. Look at verse 27. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. I want you to write it down. Sacrificial service. If you want to be a disciple, not only is it wholehearted devotion, but it's sacrificial service. You see, Luke... He was very used to this particular carry the cross because he's already communicated. This is not a new concept for Luke. And in Luke chapter 9, he says, if anyone comes to me and does not... Excuse me, that's not the right verse. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. I'm actually going to turn there. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. I'll read it for you so it won't be on the screen. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. If anyone desires to come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Daily. Let me tell you what a cross meant. A cross told the world that you were in subjection to the Roman government unto death. It wasn't a gold thing we wear. Nothing wrong with it. But it wasn't a gold chain. And there's nothing wrong with it. But what it said to the entire world, that man or woman is in subjection to the Roman government to death. And what Jesus is saying is, I want you identifying with the fact that you're in subjection to me even unto death. Thirdly, I want you to write it down. We need to understand that this was not the only cost of discipleship that Jesus would mention. In John chapter 8, verse 31, he tells us something else. Would you take a look at the screen? Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. It wasn't just about wholehearted devotion. It's not just about sacrificial service. It's about unabandoned, no conditions kind of faith. It is faithfully committing to learning the word, and living the word at all costs. Unabandoned, no conditions, no temptation, no affliction, no persecution is going to move me from doing what my Savior has asked me to do. Now listen carefully what Paul would write the uh, Roman church in Romans 8.35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Listen to what they were going through. People were dying by the sword. They were dying by tribulation, persecution. They were starving them because they would not worship the Augustan t- in the Augustan temple. He says, what's going to move you? 
unabandoned faithfulness. Jesus doesn't leave it there, friends. He would further talk about what it is about the cost of discipleship. Listen, disciples. In John chapter 13, verse 35. John chapter 13, verse 35, he says, By all this, by this, all will know that you're my disciples. If you, say it with me, have love for one another. When Peter was writing the church, he said, I want you to add to your faith. Add to your faith. Patience, add to your faith, self-control, perseverance, add to your faith, brotherly kindness, add to your faith, love. Peter makes it very clear, the best evidence of your faith is not what you know, but how you apply what you know through love. Faith works through love. You see, if you tell me you're a disciple of Christ, I will see one of the most loving people on the face of the planet. I will see kindness and gentleness, long-suffering. I'll see self-control flowing out of you. If you come walking into church, well, I go to Calvary Chapel, South Bay. I know John 3.16. Do you? We've done that verse before. And who's this guy anyway? Where's Pastor Jeff? I want the notes back. Pastor Jeff taught last week. I called him last week, and I said, that sermon was unbelievable. I said, I feel like you're the big brother setting me up for absolute failure. (laughs) I love that man. Brotherly love. Finally, I want you to hear this, what Jesus communicates about discipleship. In John chapter 15, verse 8, he says this. John 15, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. If you want to be a disciple, you've got to bear much fruit. You've got to be preaching the gospel, making disciples, serving the Lord. You should be the first to volunteer in youth. You should be the first to be at the choir, if you can sing. You should be the first to be an usher or a greeter. There should be something in you that desires to be a disciple that Jesus is talking about. Don't get hung up on hate your mama. Start bearing fruit. Start loving your brother. You see, discipleship is more than just getting stuck with what did Jesus say. It involves a lifestyle that has a cost attached to it. So that's why Jesus concludes here in Luke chapter 14. He says this. Take a look. Verse 28. Which of you, intending to build a tower, doesn't sit down first and count the cost? Or which king will look at an army of 20,000 and wonder, can I beat with my 10,000? And salt is good as long as it's salty. Let me tell you what Jesus is saying. He's the builder. Remember, I will build my church. And he's looking and he's saying to his disciples, i got to make sure you're the right people to work with. He's the king. And he's looking at his army of 10,000, recognizing we're outnumbered, and go, can I beat with the 20,000 that's coming? I'll take them. And he's asking us to be good soldiers. He's asking us to be stones, to be put into his building. But he's saying to us, the cost of discipleship, you've got to be salty. Let me tell you what salt does to a steak. It makes it taste great. 
And when people look at our faith, do they go, oh, there's a Christian? Or do they go, if you need to talk to anybody, that's the person that you need to talk to. They just make state great. Church, there's a cost to discipleship. And that cost is your life. Would you dare today to be a disciple? Let's pray. Father, it's in Jesus' name that we come to you. Because preparing this message, I found myself convicted. I have left family to go to Liberia, even to come to California. And so I might check the wholehearted devotion, but am I bearing much fruit? Am I loving the brothers? So Lord, I pray that as we count the cost, today as we remember you, that you would give us the grace, Lord, to remember the cost of discipleship. In Jesus' name. Each of you were Each of you were given a communion element when we came in. So would you just put that in your hand and if you were not able to grab one, would you just raise your hand? Our ushers are going to come forward to make sure that you have one and we've got a couple of people up front here. Uh, there's some people over here. Let's make sure that everyone has some the communion elements. Today, there's something that I want us to remember. His name is Jesus. And he gave us something to remember him by, believers. And this communion is for believers. Now, if you're not a believer, it doesn't exclude you. It actually invites you. You see, what this represents is his body that was broken and his blood that was shed. So this becomes a holy moment for us. Not that this is the body and not that this is the blood. It's a symbol. Because Jesus knows that we will quickly forget some principles that he put forth. The one thing that he wanted to remember was his sacrifice. Because if we could keep that in mind, everything else will fall into place. So he took the bread. And you hold for just a moment. And he passed it around to his disciples. It was a broken piece. He said, this is my body which is broken for you. As long as you eat this, do this to remember me. And then he would pass the cup. And he would say, this is my blood of the new covenant. And as long as you drink it, I want you to remember me. Church, he died on a cross not to stay there. He just wants us to remember, remember the moment. Because if we remember the death and the burial, we will get 
to the newness of life. We will get to the resurrected life that he promises us. And today, I want us to remember the cost of discipleship. He gave his life for us. We give our lives in response to him. So I'm going to give you just a few moments, and if you want to kneel where you're at, you're welcome to do that. I'm just going to give you a moment to remember the Lord. Alex is going to just play a brief chorus. And on your own, maybe turn to your wife or husband if you'd like to pray for just a moment. On your own, I want you to have your moment with the Lord. Though we're together, take the bread and eat. And then take the cup and drink. And then I'll close us in prayer. so thankful for you. We remember you today. We remember the cost of our salvation. And while the the cross calls us to salvation, it also affirms the cost of discipleship. So Lord, I pray that as we've considered today and remembered you, whatever cost it is for us, we will follow. Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.